So we are going to be talking about God's unconventional wisdom. Now, uh, we, we know that God's ways are different from ours, don't we? We don't have to simply look at the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, we see that God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher than ours. He views the world and our lives differently than we do because we get conventional things, don't we? Conventional things are human. And so as we kind of thought through some of these contrasts, we'll be hitting them over the next six weeks. There are all kinds of contrasts between the way God views us and the world and how we understand ourselves. Oh, vertical, sorry. Vertical kids, sixth through eighth graders. My bad. Head on out. Mr. Gary's in the back. Have fun. All right, so... um, We'll be looking at these, these contrasts throughout this series. Now, what are we familiar with? I mean, kind of our natural way is toward conventional things. What are some of the conventional things that we want to pursue in life? We like ease and comfort, don't we? I mean, that's what, my, you know, for me, naturally, that's what I, I want to pursue. I want to go after the things that are easy. I mean, I want to have a healthy life. I want to have a great family. I want to make a lot of money. I want to be happy. What do most people say if you ask them, you know, what do you want out of life? I just want to be happy. And our human way is to pursue that with ease and to find comfort. Yet God says it doesn't happen that way. God says that there's actually lots of pain in life, which we know that, We just try to stay away from it. We try to avoid it. God says there's pain, and that pain leads to wisdom, and it can lead to joy. In fact, it should lead to joy, that we can find joy in tough times. And at first glance, that doesn't compute for for us, does it? But if you just ask our local team, our great basketball team, the San Antonio Spurs, give it up for them. I mean, last year, a year ago, last June, they were sitting devastated by their loss that had been ripped, I mean, ripped out. I mean, the trophy was almost in their hand. In the last few seconds, Miami stole it from them, and they had to sit in that pain and anguish for a year, but it drove them, didn't it? And it drove them to this fifth championship that we just witnessed here in the last week, And it's interesting that we hear Timmy and we hear Tony talking about this past year and how they wouldn't have changed anything. In fact, they're saying this is the sweetest trophy, the sweetest championship yet. Why? Because there's something about what the Spurs have accomplished that connects to the unconventional ways of God, that pain can lead to growth and should lead to growth and wisdom and ultimately joy. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we look at James chapter 1. So follow along with me, James 1. Here's God's perspective. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person, this person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So first glance, I mean, this is kind of upside down in terms of how we as human beings view the world. We say joy comes through trials. I mean, it's like, what? No comprende. Mm-mm. I, I don't want to go that way. Even though we know our lives are full of challenge and trials, aren't they? We know that. But there's something inside of us, in our human nature, we, we, where we want to avoid the hard stuff. We want to avoid the trials. But the question for us today is, how do we learn, as we look to God, to prevail and experience joy in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of trials, because that's how God wants us to live. Here's what Bob Marley said, the truth is everyone's going to hurt you, you just have to find the one suffering for. And we know that, that there are some things where we need to set our heart and our attention to above others, and so that's the the thing that we need to figure out. We need to find that one who's worth sacrificing for. And we believe that's the God who calls us into relationship through Christ. So there's four things that we're going to talk about today as we look at this idea of God's unconventional wisdom. The first is, if you want wisdom, you have to go to God. That's the starting point for all of us. Second, You can't microwave it. You can only grow in wisdom through life experience. So wisdom happens through life experience. And third, wisdom is best learned and experienced in community. And lastly, wisdom allows us to have hope and a vision for the future. All right, so let's talk about this first one, that we've got to go to God. Now, as we think about wisdom, just a a little definition. There's a difference between knowledge and and wisdom, right? Knowledge is about information. It's understanding information. Wisdom is taking that information and applying it. It's discerning through that information and making judgments. Um, I kind of, uh, I like uh, this, this saying. So knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you're not going to put a tomato in a fruit salad, right? All right. <laughs> yeah. I knew somebody would laugh on that one. <laughs> Wisdom is about listening. Knowledge is about speaking. We'll hit all these kinds of contrasts over the next few weeks. Now, I, I, this is a great starting point because James says it here, um, these remarkable words. He says, as he, talk about, he talks about perseverance and growth and you know, uh, you know, God's activity in that. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, that's an amazing starting point. And for us, that's something that we've got to take a hold of. We've got to believe it if we're going to pursue it and begin to experience wisdom, right? Um, What's funny about it is it's like, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, who's going to say, I need wisdom, you know, or I, I lack it? I mean, I, mean, who, I mean, who's going to say that they don't lack it, other than some 20-year-olds that I know? 
myself included. When I look back in my life when I was 20, I wasn't asking for wisdom. I didn't care about it. But it's funny to me that James says, hey, you got to understand that you need wisdom. And for most of us, we're saying, yeah, I need it. And if you're 40, you probably recognize this. I need wisdom. I need help. I need guidance. I need direction. Okay. But I, wanna, I just want to hold on this before we hit a couple of Proverbs and talking about the importance of wisdom and what it's like to seek it and pursue it. It's that God wants us to ask. And James says, if we ask, God's going to give it. He's going to pour it out to us if we're willing to seek it, to take a step toward God's ways and his wisdom and his life. So here's what we read in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My child, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the way of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Here's another one from Proverbs chapter 4. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And I think we can you know, grasp this from the Proverbs. Throughout the Proverbs, we hear this charge, this challenge. you got to pursue it. It's the one thing you've got to give your mind and your heart to is finding and pursuing and asking for God's wisdom because it will be life for you. It will give you perspective. It will give you the kinds of things that God desperately wants us to experience in Christ. So when we look at the Old Testament, there was this great king thousands of years ago. His name was King Solomon. He was David's son. And when David was about to, to die and go on and Solomon was coming up as the next king, he was 20 years old. And the remarkable thing in that story, and we don't, we're not going to go into Solomon's full life, but the remarkable thing in, in Solomon's story is that God came to him in a dream. And what was it that Solomon asked for? He asked God for wisdom. He said, I'm just a child, Lord. And I don't know how to lead your people. I have no idea. I don't have the tools. I don't have what it takes. So please give me a discerning heart. And God was amazed by his request. And so he gave him abundant wisdom. He was the wisest person on earth, it says. And because of that, because he didn't ask for financial success or you know, uh, wealth and all these other things. God gave all that stuff to him anyway. Now, we won't talk about Solomon's uh, later life. Even though he had lots of wisdom, he still went off course. But he asked for wisdom. And that's the starting point for us. Is we have to make a commitment to say, God, I need help. I need you to show me, to guide me. I want to begin searching your words and your way so that I can get what you're wanting me to do. All right. 
So we, uh, we learn wisdom in a lot of different ways. But we learn it through life experience, don't we? Now, I, I can think back to, um, this is about 13 years ago, just over 13 years ago, when my son Kyle was born. You know, here, Candace and I were, um, you know, um, you know, early on still in marriage, we had one son, Colin, he was two, and uh, pregnant with Kyle, and he was going to be born in February. And, uh, you know, for us, it was just kind of the, the normal birth process. We learned with Colin that um, Candace, she didn't go into labor, so we had to set up, we just got to set up the day, say, all right, this is a good day, we're going to come in, Candace is going to be induced. So Kyle's coming along, he's late again, we do our normal process. We're going to set up the day, and we're going to go have this baby. And so we go in, and as far as we knew, everything was fine. Been a healthy pregnancy. He was doing well. And so he was born about 5 o'clock in the day that, that afternoon. And within minutes, it went from a nurse and a couple medical personnel to like 10 and 12 around our son. And they whisked him away. And we had no idea what was going on. And we sat there, you know, in anguish, asking questions, what's, what's happening? And we just know, you know, from the, the initial checks they do, his numbers started going down quickly. And so they're, you know, coming back every, I don't know, half hour, hour. I mean, it went on for a really long time, telling us, well, it's not, it's not his lungs. It's not this, and it's not that. And finally, we were told it's something with his heart. And as we're waiting there, you know, our hearts are breaking, not knowing if he's going to live or if he's going to die. And then later that night, after probably three hours, where we just sat, you know, weeping and crying out to God, we sat down with the pediatric cardiologist, and he explained Kyle's heart defect and how he would need surgery in the next few days. And so he, you know, we're taking in all this information and it was funny, as, as we sat there and we knew there, there was absolutely nothing we could do to help our son other than find him the best medical care possible. And it was funny because I started reflecting early, early on in the day, before Kyle was born, I'd been reading some of the Psalms. And one Psalm in particular, Psalm 62, is something that I had been thinking on. And, and God gave us in his presence through these words that night. Psalm 62, my my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. And we felt very shaken in those moments. But we also knew that God was present. And so we started this process over the next few weeks. Kyle was in the hospital about four weeks. He had to have open heart surgery, and they did an uh, arterial switch. By the way, he's doing phenomenally well today. I mean, he's got no uh, ongoing issues. But we didn't know that then. We had no idea. And so there we are in the hospital post-surgery. Then he has a seizure after a surgery. You know, we're just starting to get a little relief, a little bit of joy. Surgery went well. Then he has a seizure. Then, you know, we're just, we keep waiting day by day by day through the process. And finally, it was time to go home. And you would think that'd be really exciting. Yes, we get to bring our son home. But we had to take care of him. 
without medical personnel help. So he comes home, and he, because he didn't learn how to drink a bottle, um, he had an NG tube. And so we would have to change this NG tube that went through his nose and down to his stomach. And we'd have to change that every, I don't know, week or two weeks. So we're tapping on his stomach, making sure. It's like, what are we doing? We don't have the expertise to do this kind of stuff. And so we're hardly sleeping. I mean, we were up every two to three hours with him. And we were exhausted. And that went on for weeks and months. Even as he started to take a bottle, he never really drank it. So we'd get up to feed him in the night, and he'd suck on it for an hour. And it's like, that's it? i got to get up in another hour or two. <laughs> I'd feed him again. But through that time, we were learning wisdom. I can remember one day, Candace called me. I was at work. And um, she called me. She said, Dave, um, you know, with Kyle and Colin running around, and he was only two and a half, she's like, you have to come home and help me. I'm, I'm at my brink. And the wise guy right here says, hey, I'm at work. I can't come home right now. I'll be home later. Okay. You know, was that the wrong answer? <laughs> yes, it was. I had to learn through experience some wisdom that that was the wrong answer. I did come home. I don't think I, I, don't think I came home right away, but I did come home, and I learned. I learned. That's the second point. Wisdom is, it's not something we microwave. It's not something we just get and say, I got this, this whole wisdom thing. I mean, anybody who says that they don't need any more wisdom, that they're very wise, I'm not, I mean, they scare me. I'm not going to listen really to a whole lot that they have to say because wisdom comes out of humility and it comes out of experience, doesn't it? A lifetime of experience. As we deal with trials, we make mistakes. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help my, my own kids to grow in wisdom. That's our role as parents. And, you know, sometimes I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm saying, God, why can't they get it? You know, why are they so learn, slow, slow to learn this kind of stuff? Why are, are they acting like such knuckleheads? And then what God always reminds me of is what a knucklehead I was. See, I got all kinds of stories I can tell you. Um, We learn wisdom. I spent a lot of time at the golf course all through college. I played in high school and I worked at a golf course. And and what I did in the summertime in between going back and forth to college was I would cut all the tee boxes. I'd cut the greens. I'd change the cups. Um, I played a lot of golf. I, I loved working out on the golf course. Well, one night I was out with my friends, and one of my jobs on Sunday morning was to change the cups for the weekend on Sunday morning, get there around 6 or so. And so I was out with my friends on a Saturday night, and it was around 11, 11.30, and we were downtown goofing off, drinking. And I got the brilliant idea that I was going to go to the golf course right then. You see, if I can go change the cups now at midnight, then I won't have to get up in the morning. Now, uh, I had a light on the cart. I knew the golf course well. But, you know, there's slopes on greens. Those slopes are hard to see when it's dark out. And so I can remember coming in the next day, like in the afternoon, because I wanted to play golf, and the club professional coming right up to me. He's like, Dave, did you change these cups? I said, yeah. 
He's like, you got to go change 15, 11, 7. They're all in bad positions and people are complaining about them. Yeah, not so bright. I learned wisdom through it, though. And we all learn through life, through the mistakes we make, through the ups and downs, and through the trials. And that's what we want to teach our kids. If you're a parent, you want to teach your kids so hopefully they won't make some of the same mistakes that you did. But you know what? We also, you know, we have a tendency, kind of our conventional wisdom is, I want to keep my kid from all these negative experiences in life. So I'm going to try to protect, protect them as much as I can. And I'm, I, I want to give them as much comfort as I can. But that ends up handicapping them, doesn't it? Because there's some things that you just have to learn through experience. And that's how wisdom um, becomes a part of our lives. As we learn through Good decisions and bad decisions and through tough times. All right, so how do we begin to experience wisdom and growth together? Because that's another important point is it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in community. I mean, every one of us, we can't just do it at home through trial and error. There's obviously a lot of things we can learn and we can gain some wisdom, but it happens in a faith community. And that's why I want to encourage every one of you, whether it's Rock Hills um, or another faith community, you've got to be a part of a faith community where people know you, where people um, you know, are learning about what's happening in your life, and they can stand with you. They can walk alongside of you. When Kyle was in the hospital, we had a faith community that came around us, and they carried us when we were weak and we had nothing. We learn wisdom in community Here's what Paul says in Corinthians. This is a powerful text, 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are are despair, It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you a patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. It's this back and forth that we experience in a faith community that's looking to Jesus and pursuing God's wisdom and life together. His unconventional and unorthodox ways, recognizing that we're weak and we need the strength of others. And sometimes we're going to be the help as we support somebody else, and other times we're going to get the help that we need because we're honestly sharing our struggles and our challenges and the trials that we're going through. Um, I want to share with you a story. Stanzi, she's part of our community here at Rock Hills, and she's going to share some of her experience. uh, Hi, I'm Stanzi, and my husband Jeff and I have been attending Rock Hills for the past four years. And what I've learned in my trials is that if you shut out pain, you also shut out joy. Um, When I was 13 years old, I was diagnosed with leukemia, 
And after two and a half years of chemotherapy, I was in full remission and I've been in full remission for 12 years. Um, I saw a lot of amazing blessings that God brought through that experience. Um, but I had this misconception that if I was a good Christian, that I wouldn't be afraid and I wouldn't be angry and I wouldn't have doubts. And so I buried all of those dark emotions in my heart. Um, but the reality was I was terrified. And beyond that, I was terrified of people knowing that I was terrified or finding out. Um, but after treatment, I fell into this deep, dark depression. Um, the weight of everything I'd been through just overwhelmed me. So I went through some counseling and dealt with some issues and became a little bit more functional um, and said, okay, great, I'm done with cancer and I've recovered and I'm all better. But I never really experienced peace in my heart. This spring, um, my life kind of spun out of control and I eventually collapsed um, physically. I, it felt like my body was shutting down. I didn't know it was wrong, so my friend rushed me to the emergency room and they did all kinds of tests and the doctor finally came in and said, Stancy, we can't find anything physically wrong with you. And so she diagnosed me with severe mental fatigue and mild depression. And it was finally unavoidable. I had to dig up all this stuff that I buried in my heart and face it honestly. And I really felt like God was saying, this is your time to heal. I like the message translation of James 1, 2 through 4. Uh, it says, consider it as your gift, friends, when fears and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And what I've what I realized is I definitely tried to get out of my trial prematurely because I didn't like the true colors that were coming out. And because of that, I've been trapped in fear. I've been trapped in that hospital room where I was diagnosed for 14 years. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity now to finally face those fears and walk through them with Jesus at my side, learning how to trust him as he lights the way um, and as I finally break through to freedom and the fullness of joy. Amazing story. And I know that Stanzi, just as she shares some of her life, she's touching many of you. And she's providing comfort for you in whatever you're going through. And, and I wonder, you know, as she talks about, you know, struggling with, she put on this face and struggling with all the doubt and the, 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 the anxiety that she had within, and she was afraid to share that with others. I wonder what would happen if she, because really what God asks us to do is to trust him, to open ourselves to others. I wonder what would happen if she would have shared all that and the healing that would have come, she's healing now, but the healing that would have come 10 years ago as her community brought comfort that she desperately needed. You see, as we pursue faith, as we follow Christ, as we you know, search out you know, how is God involved in our life and our circumstances, 
we get to be a part of a community where there's comfort, where we don't all have it together, where we can share our lives, the, the mistakes that we've made and the problems that we're facing. And we can share the joys that we've received as we've worked through that process as well. As well. That's part of what it means to be a community and to gain wisdom, to grow in wisdom and maturity through it. There's one last point, and it's this, is that we, we need hope and a vision for something better. Wisdom allows us to pursue this hope, to find this vision for something better. And there's something compelling about that for each one of us. Because you might be saying, well, I have, I have doubts, and I, you know, it says here in the text that if you don't believe and you have doubts, then God's not going to give certain things to you. We all have doubts. What James is saying is that we have to allow hope. We have to allow our wisdom to overcome our doubts. I think about uh, Philip Yancey writes in one of his books a story of his little church in Chicago, downtown Chicago which was a, a mix of you know, these urban yuppies and people who had lived locally in Chicago for years. In fact, there was government housing close by, and the church was stru- struggling through something. And so they you know, kind of had a church meeting and said, we need to pray. Let's do a 24-hour time of prayer. And then there were all kinds of objections with that. Well, this is not a safe part of the, the city what are we going to do you know, with people coming and going at night? Do we need to get police officers? Do we have to have bodyguards out here? I mean, how are we going to, you know, just all these reasons why they shouldn't do it. And there were a couple of elderly women who said, we have to do this. And so they said, yeah, we're going to do this prayer night. And they were worried about, what about these women who, they walk to church from their government housing that's close by. And uh, so they were wondering, you know, how are they going to get back and forth? couple of these women said, you know, we are going to come and we're going to pray all night long. And what hit Yancey was that these women had had really tough lives, living in poverty, have dealt with all kinds of death and difficult things in their lives. And yet here they are with this great faith and vision for something better where they said, we're going to be here and we're going to pray because we love this community. And I want to tell you this morning, this is really our challenge as we go forward into this series, is that you can live with that kind of vision and hope despite your circumstances. And I would love for each of us this week as we consider, okay, here's what my work and relationships look like this week, to say, God, I want to have that kind of hope and vision, believing that better things can come, believing that I can offer some positive words to somebody else, whether it's at home or at your office or at a restaurant in town or somebody that you just run across while you're out shopping, you can bring that.